0: is F G Fernandez with Together We Stand, and I am excited to have you all with us today. First off, I'm going to let everybody know who is new to our show that Together We Stand is a national non-profit organization, and we advocate for victims of racism, discrimination, and police brutality. Uh, We do this through education, advocacy, and legislation, and today we have an incredible show. Um, We're talking to four black artists uh, who use their work to uh, make a statement and to affect change in our uh, black movement across the country. Um, So it's going to be very exciting. And um, I I am going to bring on our first guest, um, Ian Frank. Ian, can you hear me?
1: I certainly can.
0: Welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome.
2: <laughs> Thank
1: it's so you. so nice
0: to have you. I'm going to just tell everybody a little bit about you. So I'm going to, first off, Ian is a majorly amazing photographer. I'm sharing my prints on Facebook right now so everybody can see. I just got my first print from him. This one is called the Protector of the Protectors, and this was taken up at Standing Rock, and I treated myself for my birthday, so I'm super excited to have you on. Um, Ian and I met on a project last year. Uh, he did a cover uh, for a book that I was a part of called Why Black Lives Matter 2, um, and it's been amazing ever since, watching him travel this country and document. incredible things. So, Ian is a disabled U.S. Marine Corps veteran, served his country for 10 years, and after being medically retired, he felt he was given a second chance at life, and he dedicates his time and his gifts to causes that will make a difference in the world. Ian states that, I have wasted a lot of time destroying things. Now it is time to create. I realized for years I carried a weapon that was designed to harm, and now I carry a weapon that helps. So, Ian, thank you so much for for being with me. Um, I'm excited to finally have have a chance to dig a little on you and hear more about your life. Um, So tell me, how did you get started uh, with photography?
3: Actually, that's funny.
2: My
0: My mother...
1: She started me off when I was about five years old. She um, and my father went to Japan, and I couldn't go because it was smallpox. They were still doing the shots, so I was stuck with grandparents. When they came back, uh, they had two 35-millimeter cameras, one for her, one for him. My father didn't want me to touch his at all. But my mother, she saw the light in my eyes, and she put it in my hand and showed me how to work everything. And at that point, she kept me with a camera in my hand, no matter when, where, I always had a camera. And it didn't tell me that. uh, Yeah, long time. Well, not that long time.
0: (laughs) It was sort of meant to be, huh?
1: I see that now. Because once I got out of the military, once I was medically discharged, I purchased a camera, and it was for therapeutic purposes. hmm And once I started getting into the groove of things, that's when everything started to flow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me, um, I know that you've been in the middle of some pretty intense things across the country over the past uh even year that I've been watching your work, um, tell me what it's like for you to be on the front lines, so to speak, um, witnessing what you have.
1: It's a it's an awakening. You learn to be thankful for everything that you have. Yeah. You learn to appreciate more. You know, and then you look at the normal, well, quote unquote normal world where everyone is so materialistic and worried about this. When you see things like that, you know, none of that stuff matters. Yeah. Yeah, it's frivolous. And and you're looking through different eyes.
0: Absolutely.
1: And and you actually sit and you and you wonder, does this really matter?
0: Yeah. I, mean, I tell you, you know, it, it's... my experiences the last year, it's been um, every day is an eye-opener and I feel like I was literally walking around blind and I thought I had a pretty good sense of what was going on in our country and I had no clue the depths of it and I look at some of your pictures and it's, um, it's not often a time that I will look at a ph- photograph and be moved to tears or rage. Um, and that's happened when looking at your work often. Um, I know that you were wow, in
3: Baton Rouge
0: um, after Alton Sterling was killed. Um, what was that like for you?
1: It was hard um, in, the, in the sense of being a black male. But also being in a capacity where I couldn't choose size and I couldn't be biased. Yeah. It was a tug of war. You know, and at the time I was 43. And I made a joke about it. I said, hell, I haven't run from the police in uh, 25 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but being a man with grown children and still having to run from the police in my 40s, that's kind of sad.
0: Yeah, yep. Have you, in uh, being out there documenting things, have you ever been, uh, has your safety ever been compromised?
1: No, I never felt threatened at, at any point in time, because um, i got to be honest with you, after being in the Marine Corps and being in some of these third world countries, then Growing up between New York and New Orleans I'm not worried about too much anymore
0: Yeah <laughs> I guess that would That would do it, huh?
1: <laughs> and, and you know and I, When I look back at that I said, you know what, maybe this is Was a part of it, this is what I was supposed to go through What I was supposed to deal with You know, witnessing the things that I, I have Growing up, you know, the violence in the streets uh, The aftermath of the violence yeah. It kind of made me numb Uh, I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It made me numb.
0: Yeah, I think that I've definitely had my ebbs and flows of emotions, and there's times in which you don't... I think that we we end up numb for a moment because it's sort of a, how else you cope with what you're seeing, you know? Um I can't imagine, I mean, I'm not on the front lines all the time like you are, and I, I, I can't imagine what it's like um, to do what you do, and to be unbiased and to uh, tell the story the way that you do is, is a gift I don't, I know I couldn't do it. I got a little too much crazy and a little too much rage in me.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, we all have it. We all have it, but you have to learn how to channel it, and to be honest, that's what I've learned to do, so to speak, because behind my photos, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of pain, and it's how I've learned to process my pain and what I deal with.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key so, of learning how to process everything when you're in this type of work, you know? Um, Otherwise, it
2: can
1: be. It can be. It can be, and it takes a lot out of you.
0: I can imagine. Um,
1: But the the thing I I, I, I feel is, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Sappy. What were you saying?
0: Oh, no. Go ahead and finish off, because I was going to ask you about Standing Rock, but I want you to finish your your thoughts.
1: it's one in the sense of learning who you are and why you're here and what you're supposed to do. Mhm. I um my oldest son is a brain cancer survivor.
0: Wow. Um.
1: And I got caught, you know, in the glitz and glamour of being in Atlanta and dealing with celebrities and doing this and doing that. And one day I documented his whole chemotherapy process.
0: Wow.
2: I
1: let my youngest, my youngest son, I let him play hooky from school, and we were at the um, the hospital, the Children's Hospital in Atlanta, and I'm documenting the whole day, and I didn't pay any attention. Um, but when I got home, I started looking at the images, and there was one image of my youngest son. Sitting on the bed While his brother Is getting chemo And refused to leave his side And that hit me like a brick And it was at okay. that point I had I, I said you know what This is what I'm supposed to be doing So it was at that point I gave up all the commercial work All the other glitch and glam. I said no more Wow
2: Wow
0: Wow yeah.
1: It changed everything for me.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I've got three boys, and I can't imagine having that experience.
1: But what do they say? What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger?
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that.
1: That's why I feel yeah. I'm, I'm in the right place to do this type of work.
0: And we're so lucky to have you. I mean, truly, there's not many that, um, I'm, that can capture uh, something the way that you can. Um,
1: I'm going to tell you. Pardon me? I'm blessed to be able to do it.
0: Yeah. I'm thankful and you know, that I'm able to do it. We're lucky when – I don't know that there are that many people on this planet who – get to a place in life where they know that they're doing exactly what they're meant to do, um, where they find their path, um, and are brave enough to walk down it. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you have this to. Path. And yeah, it's definitely a blessing, even when it's difficult, um, uh, to know what you're meant to be here to do. Uh, so tell me, um, I know you made it up to Standing Rock. What was that like being up there? I know that we've had tons of people from Together We Stand that were in and out up there, but I'd love to hear your perspective. And um, it just seems that it was such a powerful organizing of people coming together together In a really spiritual way And I'm I'm just curious as to what your experience was When you were there
1: It was life changing I was very skeptical at first But it it was life changing Um, I didn't know what to expect The embrace The way people embraced each other That was so rare.
0: I can imagine To Yeah, to
1: experience people who genuinely cared about something. That's that's nothing that's rare. To uh be an outsider and be embraced. You know, it's it's The way the media portrayed the protesters it was way off base.
0: Sure.
1: These guys sat around, we talked, we laughed. You know, people who homeschooled their kids were out there, the kids were using the you know, little you know, sleds and going down the hills, you know, and there were no actions. It was a community,
0: right? And then we have the the lovely media, mainstream media, making it look like they're just, you know, violent disruptions,
1: savages, kind of like they do people of color in the, in the urban areas. Exactly. And it's the furthest thing from the truth, you know. It, it's to see so many different people standing together peacefully.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You know, and I was blessed to be there when uh, the veterans were
0: there.
1: You know, being a vet myself, it meant something. Mm-hmm. But that's the only reason why the big media was out there. You know, like CNN, those guys. But as soon as nothing happened, they were gone. It's mm-hmm. like that's all they want. You know, what is mm-hmm. it? if it leads, it leads. Yeah. You know, you know, they had so many people out there with cameras, so I decided to go a different route and start capturing life, real life. Yeah, I want people to know that okay, what you see on the media is not what's going on. These are peaceful individuals who are out there protesting, exercising their constitutional right. Absolutely. And did you did you
0: Witness any of the violence towards the protesters while you were there?
1: No, but uh, I personally had a run in with some of the law enforcement. Um,
2: mm-hmm. One of
1: the images on my on my website shows that i mean it was it was brief because it was a treaty. They couldn't be on the bridge, and we couldn't be on the bridge, but we were both on the bridge. Mm-hmm. But you know then you have the concrete barriers, and you have razor wire and barbed wire you know, stretched across it. So when you have that kind of meeting in between, people like to talk even more so because they know nothing is going to be done.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm curious. Having, late, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, having experienced Standing Rock and what folks were able to accomplish there was pretty amazing. Um, Such a long term peaceful resistance, um, something that we haven't seen in quite some time. And I'm curious as to how you think we can bring that to our urban communities of color. I am
1: so glad you asked that question. There's a lot more focus that needs to be done and that needs to be had on the urban community because to see the – to see what, what's being done, the way people are standing, you know, like the Women's March. You see how everybody came together? Mm-hmm. You see Standing Rock, everybody came together against injustice. And there's one image of mine that you used um, with the American flag behind me, and I'm standing with my hands up with what appears to be bullet holes in a a white hoodie. Yep. That's my question to everyone is, okay, when are we going to get that kind of support? When are we going to stand in solidarity against that? Because it doesn't happen. Right. You had people who voted out of fear And and anger and hate And then there is backlash And now they want to stand against that What they voted for
2: Exactly I see you and
1: I appreciate that But when Are you really going to attack that problem? You know because you look at that whole situation With uh, Ryan Lochte The Olympic swimmer When they referenced him as, as a kid He was 32 years old That's a grown man Mhm. But you look at Tamir Rice, you don't even reference him as a child. He was 12. So there are still some issues that need to be squared away in this country.
0: Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a, a daunting task, but we do need to figure out how we can... Truly really come together. It, it is, you know, I've, I've heard from some of the families that we advocate for um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and frustration over how many people came together for the women's march. And then you see, you know, they're losing their babies in the streets and nobody's marching for them. And if they are, it's 30 people, you know. Um, yeah. We have to do better. We have to do better.
1: You know, I think what it is is when we stand up and stand firm. If you notice, a lot of people in mainstream society start to get nervous. Mm-hmm. But don't just toss us a bone and think we're just going to go sit in the corner and be calm and cool and collected. oh, let's just give them this and they'll be calm for the next year or so. No, it's not going to work that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm tired of telling people, you know what, I'm tired of it. What is it? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But you have so many people, and, you, and I've expressed this to you once before, you have so many people that are the... Damned keyboard activist. Hello. Kid gets killed in the street, unarmed, not a threat to anybody. You type feverishly for two
2: maybe maybe three days. Mhm.
1: And then nothing else is said. Yeah. You're going back to talking about, you know, your your Issues with your significant others on social media. Like, really?
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't and get it.
1: You tell people you're tired. You can't be tired. You can't be. Because if you are, if you were, you wouldn't stop talking.
2: Right.
1: You would get from behind your keyboard and actually do something.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. But I was everybody's scared about to do something. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some that it's fear. I think some... I think some it's just... I don't know. Laziness? They don't give a shit enough? I don't know what it is. They wait until it happens to them? I'm not quite sure what it is. I think... Um. Our next guest, Tyson Namir, I've been reading his book, uh, Black Boy Poems, and he talks about uh, how people have sort of made a career out of um, talking about race. And uh, I see it a lot on, you know, all over the place. I mean, there's so many people... On Facebook, for example, who have a huge, huge platform. Who, when we reach out to try to get families that we work with some exposure, some help, um, there's never an answer. It's only when it's going to bring something to them that they get involved. Yeah, like and there's I
1: money involved, recognition. It's game anything. and a
0: money game, you can't. I mean, these are. This is over. Um, well, children dying. And you're trying to get, um, you're trying to make money off of that. You're trying to get fame off of that. That's disgusting to me. That's disgusting to me. We have not taken one cent ever. We raise money so that we can do this, and that's it. Not one person in our organization has ever taken a dime. And it's, it's, we have all these other pieces that are getting, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, and these families are not seeing it. It's frustrating.
1: It's frustrating. I know it is. I, I got to be honest with you. It it pisses me off to no end. Here, I, a lot of my trips are self-funded, but then I may have run a GoFundMe, you know, page or two to help. And I'm very, very grateful for the donations I've received, you know, thus far. But sometimes, a lot, of, like I said, a lot of times, this is out of my pocket because. Yeah. I asked before I was medically retired, I asked, you know, not to get all, you know, faith-based or anything, but I asked God, if you can make it a way that I don't have to worry about anything, you know, financially, I'm mm-hmm. going to use the talent that you bless me with to help others.
2: hmm
1: You know, after I said that, almost two weeks to the day. Okay. I received a package in the mail from the VA telling me that they granted me my 100% disability.
0: That they did what?
1: That they granted me my 100% disability.
0: Oh, oh, wow.
1: So wow. with that being said, you know, I got to make good on my word to the big guy.
0: <laughs> mhm. And you do, and you do, you do.
1: So I'm um, glad well, I'm, I'm able to do this.
0: Um, and we're lucky that you are. And I hope everybody listening um, takes the time to look at your work. And if they're able to purchase prints and support it, this man is doing incredible work, and it's selfless work. And um, it's the com. Is that correct?
3: That is correct.
0: And um, we'll make sure that we have everything up on our website for people to look at. And um, and it's. And that's. I, I certainly hope that.
2: I'm
1: sorry. That website is, you know, is my main website. But because of you and the stuff that we've done together uh, in the work, um, I actually just launched a new website today. Maybe 30 minutes before this call.
0: Wow. Okay. What is it?
1: Uh, dot org. I love that. And that is all that. of my um documentary photojournalism from the two clan rallies uh Alden Sterling standing rock uh from Hurricane Katrina.
2: And, well, we um, definitely- have one
1: features my son called "Cancer Sucks," and I even have one on there for "Homelessness Has a Face."
0: Wow. Well, I'm really glad that you're doing that because it's it's a great way to showcase the incredible work that you're doing, and for people to really get a peek into what's really going on because you don't see it in mainstream media, um, and you're Able to tell a story like no other. And so I hope everybody takes a moment. Uh, Carol's asking me to repeat, repeat the website name. So it is www.thirdigourney.org. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Right? That is correct. Okay. Did you get that? Oh, uh, www.thirdigourney.org. All right, we got a bunch of people asking about it. All right. Well, I'm gonna invite our next guest on. I hope you can stay on the line and and chat with us at the end about our lovely president and uh, what's going on in uh, this country. I'll be sure um, to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, all right. I am going to bring on Tyson Amir. Are you with me?
3: Greetings. Tyson. How you doing? I'm here.
0: Greetings. Welcome. Thank All right. You for thank you. Um, So I will give everybody just a brief synopsis on who you are. Um, Tyson Amir is an author, musician, educator, community organizer, and freedom fighter. Born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, in the spirit of the dragon, George Lester Jackson. He endeavors to utilize any and all resources at his disposal as weapons to bring about the eventual liberation of his people. Tyson has been engaged in movement work since the late 1990s. His movement work has influenced his artistic work. Black Boy Poems, his debut release as an author, is an example of that. Powerful, timely, and a revolutionary body of literature that seeks to inspire his people towards liberation. So, I'm going to hold up your book because I just got it. I've been reading it intensely. I'm so excited you're All here. Right. The more I read, the more I freak out because I'm loving it. <laughs> so, it's good, Ben. Um, it, it, it is. So, um, tell me how, I mean, I, I've been reading your book, so I know, but tell the listeners how you sort of got going in, in your work in the movement and. Uh, the revolution.
3: The revolution, yeah. Well, that's what I'm hoping it will be. But We yeah. continue to fight until all of our people are free. So I come from a long line of people who have been fighting for their freedom and liberation in this country. My great-great-great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandmother on my father's side were enslaved in this country. and I can say the same thing on my mother's side. So I belong to people who have been fighting for their freedom and liberation from they want. And so mm-hmm. that struggle has morphed over time. And so now in the 21st century, we are still fighting for it. And I've used the weapons that are at my disposal, so hip-hop and writing and my own physical body and anything that I have to try to contribute to that struggle.
0: And you, you were into music a lot before you wrote your first book, Black Boy Poems, but I, as I'm getting through it, I'm seeing that you've used a lot of your lyrics in the book as well. Um, and I...
3: Exactly.
0: Go ahead.
3: Yeah, so I still work with music. I, it's important, and this is something that's reflective of like the history of various freedom struggles. You know, here in America, and the parts of the world, like, people use all aspects of their culture to contribute to that. And so music is extremely important to use to inform, unify, inspire, support, encourage, document, report, all of that. And so my chief weapon in the artistic world is hip-hop music. And I use its cousin as well, which is like spoken word poetry. So I'm going to continue to create as long as I can And as long as people are listening
0: Well, I'm I'm really glad that I came across you And and came across your book So your uh, father was a Black Panther, correct?
3: Yes, so he was part of the party The Black Panther Party in Sacramento So they had a branch in Uh Oak Park in Sacramento and so he was there involved in their operation in 69, 70, 71, And then he relocated to the Bay Area.
0: And I'm I'm seeing how much your family life sort of played a part in, you know, who you've become and I think it's amazing and part of what I noted when I was reading is that you you say you went to black school kind of like people go to Sunday school Um, and can you tell our listeners about that because that's something I feel like we need today our youth need that like so desperately and I've been working uh, with some folks in the Bay Area to try to put something like that together but can you tell um, our listeners about that experience and what it was like for you
3: yeah my pleasure so my parents had the great foresight to try to create an educational institution for their children and other young black kids in our community so we can learn about our history. We can learn an alternative viewpoint of the world that we exist in because the schools that we attend, were not going to provide that. And the media that we are fed isn't going to provide that. And so... I would say probably from the age of maybe 9 up until about 14 or 15, I attended what we call black school. So every Sunday we would be somewhere and we'd be studying from different texts. We had homework assignments. We had field trips. And we learned we had a deep, intense study of black history, black culture, black politics, black revolutionary thought so we would understand who we are in the time that we existed in and then and also understand our responsibility to contribute to, to That's just
0: I think that's so amazing, and I think that's so lacking for our kids today. Um, it's so lacking. I, I think I we were speaking on this on our last show, and I was saying that I feel like our youth have our youth of color, particularly our black youth, have lost hope. You know, they're not dreaming anymore. Um, And I think when we don't know where we've come from, we don't know the beauty and the incredible history of our culture, uh, there's such a sense of floating out there lost, you know? And And I don't know how one dreams of a powerful, incredible future without knowing their powerful, incredible past. If that makes any sense. I don't
3: know. <laughs> um, that makes a lot of sense. It's an important component. People need to be tapped into, connected to their history. But at the same time, you know, like dealing with our current state, it's important for us to assess uh, the positives that exist. And so... In your assessment, like young people who are not necessarily connected to their history and might even be described as hopeless at certain times, that's an important place to be because if a spark occurs there, and that's a spark that can grow into an incredible fire that can inspire people to move forward, like having a sense of hope or a sense of hopelessness, both of those places, can spark people to move. But then once that happens we have to be connected to, you know, sound analysis and build institutions to help move us forward. Like our people are powerful right now although they've been intentionally disconnected from their history. And we just have to spark, Absolutely. we gotta support, we gotta be there to encourage.
0: Absolutely. I one hundred percent agree with you on that. I do. Um would you be willing to Share a poem with us. Of course. Uh, you've
3: read a little bit of the book. I don't know how much you've experienced. Is there something in particular you wanted me to share?
0: Well, I, I, I will let you pick. Um, unless you want me to pick, and then I would pick Blue Devil because <laughs> I think it's relevant to our, our show today.
3: All right. Well, I think that's cool. Let's do that. We can do Blue Devil. That's fine. All right, then. So we'll we'll go Blue Devil.
0: All right. Blue
3: Devil. Boxed in on all sides, nowhere to run or to turn to. I box concrete walls until my hands turn blue. Broken and swollen knuckles, skin-torn and chapped, I find freedom in syntax that seeps through the cracks of the walls to reach them cats and them on the outside. How many days have I been on the inside, lost count, days become nights, weeks become years, planets revolve around the sun and I'm still stuck inside here, evolved into an animal, forgot what the world looked like, push-ups and sit-ups prepare me for fist fights, they move me through the prison population, cuffs fit my wrist tight, I'm at my wit's end because my bid is life, can you imagine being locked in a cage for the rest of your days plus them, Surrounded by shadows and dark thoughts, and making my heart stop with bad habits and odd customs. I try to hang myself when the doors are locked to make me stop for more us caught up every day. Over two million counting from a bird's eye view. I have flashbacks from the old days, how they carried us away from my home, shackled and chains. Hey, Jabu, because modern day prisoners are slaves. Check your constitution, I ain't the first one to say it. The prison industry is the new slave ship. Slave ship. In a sense, a commodity that's bought and sold, but it oddly escapes possession of my black body. I manifest Rocky King dreams when I get to the registration. i reaching for my eyes to be the justification for my homicide. The wrong color at the wrong time. You a fool if you believe justice is color blind in the belly of the beast on streets I stand with hands cuffed behind my back and get beat for black with objects in Oklahoma City of smashed on hoods and squad calls and eagle projects. Already walking with chains around my neck. They say the found a trying to convict me of yet. So as I speak, they framing the crime scenes to confine me. So when I'm rhyming about, be permanent. Because police interactively began permanent. Pigs becoming judge jury executioner. The majority of pigs are white, and this is why some might compare white folks to Lucifer. For many, it's like, we live in hell? So we rebel in the streets, screaming and yelling. Product of a argument, so therefore I'm a son of rebellion. That's Blue Devil.
0: That's so intense. That is so intense. So what what was going on when you wrote this? Like, what? where did this evolve from?
3: In the chapter, in Black Boy Poems, the chapter that Blue Devil Begins, I talk about how I'm a black man in America. My entire life I've done everything that I can to avoid jails and prisons. To, to avoid interacting with police. I don't trust police. No, I mean, that, that's just not how I, I get down. That's not how people from my neighborhood get down. Yeah. So we have always had an antagonistic relationship with police and in the historical context that we exist in be us black people or indigenous people or other peoples of color. We've always been fighting against the state, and the state's primary repressive force are the police. So law enforcement, state violence has always been the devil in my eyes. And so I grew up with that understanding, and I've articulated it through my art and the way that I try to organize. And so Blue Devil, I wrote that when I was, I don't know, like late teens, maybe early 20s. And that was my honest feeling. And it's representative of the experience of my own individual experience with the system, those that I knew that experienced the system, and our open and honest feelings about what the system is in our eyes.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty intense view into what is, the Daily reality, you know um, so I'm curious uh, as to what you think the solution is or the solutions are uh, when we look at uh, our law enforcement system and the things that are going on between our community and the police uh. What are your thoughts? Where do we go? How do we shift this?
3: That's the question, right there. And so,
0: have <laughs> you figured it out? Let me know.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, there's there aren't really new answers to that. So we have people who have fought this battle before us, and they had many of the the right answers. Some of the their practice may have been incorrect at that time. But they're up against the, we're up against the biggest beast on the planet. So in order to be successful, we have to either severely handicap the beast or we have to topple the beast completely because after this interview, the police are still going to be here. They're going to be there tomorrow. They're going to be there next month. They're going to be there next year. If we're trying to get rid of them, then we got to go above them, which is they are byproducts of the government that's in the place, which is a byproduct of the economic system which is in place. And so if we're serious in our analysis, we have to attack that. And that is a huge monster. And people who came before us who tried to attack it, we know their fate. We have political prisoners. We got folks in the ground. We got folks that are in exile. We got folks that have been stripped of everything because they fought for the freedom and the liberation of their people. Right, but they were on the backs of movements from the late 1800s into the early 1900s to the mid 1900s. We are in a place in time where we've been disconnected from any real organized movement activity for a long time, and we're struggling for our survival. So, we got to meet our people where they are. We got to survive. We need food. We need clothing. We need housing, and we need to be informed. And once that happens, and while that's happening, we need to be shaped into more of a revolutionary body. And I'm not talking about like an army to fight and overthrow the government. They got nuclear weapons and spy satellites. I mean, we ain't going to win with some knives done. You know what I mean? But like, we have yeah. to become an educated, empowered, organized, unified body and move as such. And that's the effort that I'm trying to contribute to, however.
0: I absolutely agree. I think that the key is education, and empowering ourselves, um, empowering our minds. Uh, that's why they didn't want us to go to school and have, you know, that's why, you know, they took such links back in the day. And uh, I think that that, that is you, you yeah, are so the right. education
3: it has a, to be, it has to be coupled with action. So, like, and I talk about that in the book, and I don't know if you've come across that part. So it's one thing to be informed. But if we're not doing anything with what we know, then the knowledge isn't benefiting us. So the knowledge has to turn into action, and the action has to become tangible. We need to build institutions. We need to create housing for ourselves. We need to create jobs for ourselves that make us independent of this predatory capitalistic system. You know what I'm saying? Like we have to build Mm -hmm. those things. But with the revolutionary consciousness that if it does come to push and shove, we got to be ready to move. But we got to strengthen our base. And right now, we are weak because we are so fractured and disorganized.
0: I agree with that. 100%. So how do we, how do you think we can come together um, and stop being so fractured because I think that is a key point and that's something that I experience in the work that I do Um, and it's very frustrating because we have so many people doing the same thing or working towards the same goal and we're all divided and I am... not quite sure how we bridge that gap, um, you know. And that's why I was talking to Ian about Standing Rock because we saw community truly come together across this nation and for an extended period of time. And I think that that's something we can learn from and build upon, and something that we need to do. I just don't quite know how we um, how we do it. Uh, you know, I think. Some of it is uh, there's too many egos in place, um, and that just can't exist in this work. But I don't know how we... uh, I haven't figured out the the recipe yet in getting everyone on the same page moving towards the same goal, which we all seem to have. It's just uh, how we get there seems to be a very... um, There's lots of different... Ideas on how that how that works.
3: I hear you. And with that, our historical examples are really important. I don't try to romanticize the Black Panther Party, but they are a very important example. And in their example, one of the strong suits that they had was the ability to unify. They had strong relationships with groups here in the United States, be it Young Lords, the Brown Berets, be it AIM be it in Chicago under Fred Hampton, the uh, the hillbilly group that they had out there, Fred Hampton created the original Rainbow Coalition. And so they worked for coalition. Each one of those groups had their individual concerns to fight, but they were able to come to the table and have a common understanding that all of their issues stem from the same oppression. Mm-hmm. And so... We have the Standing Rock moment is an important moment. It's going to continue to be an important moment because there's fool in the White House right now and going to do what he want to do. So
2: yeah.
3: that fight going to continue. And you're seeing the diversity that's been there. But in that struggle, another thing that we see, you see people who claim to be allies trying to speak for our indigenous brothers and sisters. They're not yeah. following their lead. And so that needs to be checked. I talk about that in the book. I think you were mentioning that with the brother before about, like, the ally conversation. And so our indigenous brothers and sisters need to be supported by our black brothers and sisters and brown brothers and sisters and our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. But from a place of listening and we follow when it's that people struggle and we support how we can, and then when it becomes our issues, the black community or the brown community, we take the lead and the people they follow after that. And then
2: yeah. from
3: there, we figure out how to have the conversation about our common struggle and how we strategize in order to do that. You know we got, every, every community has specific resources, and their time, their expertise, their wisdom will be necessary at certain times, but we got to get to the table to make that happen. And we're fractured like right, like what we saying what I was saying before, but the time is going to dictate the ne- the the need for unity, and I think we will be coming together shortly for our own survival which is not
2: Absolutely. it's not
3: possible without it's- it, and so I hope at that time there'll be people at the table that represent these communities that can listen, that have an understanding of what the core issues are that we're dealing with so we can really create a strategy with the diverse array of resources that we have to attack what we're dealing with. But that time is going to come. We're going to be forced into that moment, whether we're ready for it or not.
0: Yeah, it's coming. It's coming quickly. Um, Okay. Well, um, I want to tell everybody again who's listening and watching um, that uh, you can get Tyson's book. I got it on Amazon, but you can go to uh, blackboypoems.com. It's amazing. Um, I highly recommend that everybody check it out. I'm eager, if you can, to have you stay on. Um, we have uh, some folks coming up next who are taking a different approach to everything, and I would love to have you participate in a little bit of a discussion at the end of the show if you're able to give us a little bit more time yes I'll hang out awesome okay well thank you for sharing with us and I will continue to share your book everywhere I go because I think it's amazing and I'm I'm getting through it as fast as I can but it's it's been a pleasure to speak with you and I'm eager to meet you since you're in the Bay Area and we grew up so close to one another (laughs) um so so I will. Uh, I'll bring you back on shortly. Thank you. All right. Okay. So we are going to bring on uh, filmmakers AJ Ali and Errol Webber. Uh, they are the producers of uh, Walking Wild, Black Love is the Answer. Um, welcome, guys. Can you hear me?
4: Yes, we can. Okay. Yes.
5: Thank you for having us on.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for hanging out for such a long conversation. Um, so I will just let everybody know who you guys are. So AJ, Holly, and Errol Weber are producers of Walking Wild Black, Love is the Answer, a 2017 feature-length documentary film offering solutions to bridge the gap existing between peace officers and the communities they serve. Love, L-O-V-E, stands for Learn About the Community, Open Your Heart to the People in It, Volunteer Yourself to Be a Part of the Solution, and Empower Others to Do the Same. Um, And you can check out their movie and trailer at WalkingWildBlackTheMovie.com. Do I have it right? Yes, you do. Awesome. Well, I'm really glad to have you guys on because you have... uh, an incredible project that you are rolling out, and um, it's as timely as it can be. Um, so why don't you, will you tell me why uh, Why you guys decided to do this film?
5: Uh, sure, this is uh, AJ. I, I started this journey uh, about four and a half years ago. I'm 53 now, and uh, at the time of starting this journey, I had been racially profiled uh, every decade, multiple times uh, since I was a teenager. And in the summer of 2012 in Columbia, Maryland, the Howard County police department um, targeted me for uh, the better part of that year. And I really reached the point where I had to do something and uh, it was either do something very negative or try to do something positive to, to turn things around. And so I fought with uh, how I was going to approach this and decided in the end that, uh, you know, I'm a storyteller and I need to tell the story and uh, started working on this, uh, which was originally going to be a short film just to say, Hey, look at what's happening to us way too often. Um, as time went on, the story just got richer and, and deeper. And uh, when Errol uh, came on with me uh, a year ago uh, as a uh, producer uh, at photography, uh, it went from 22 minutes to 40 minutes to an hour to now, which is an hour and 38 minute long uh, feature length documentary film. And we think we've got something pretty powerful.
0: I absolutely agree that you do, and I, it, I can see how it, how it morphed into a lengthy, um, a lengthy film, given what you guys are trying to tackle here. Um, so talk about love and uh, how you came up with that acronym in, in regards to the movie and what you believe needs to go on within our communities to start a healing process.
5: Uh, yeah, sure. So, Love is the Answer. I really give credit to my brother for filling that uh, in. My brother, Abby, passed away in 1998 of cancer. And uh, Ian, listening to, to his story, uh, really touched me because uh, I've experienced uh, those kinds of moments that, that uh, he did uh, as well. My wife is also a, a cancer survivor and several other people And so my brother would always say love is the answer, and he went through a lot of ups and downs in his life, but he really lived that out, and uh, that acronym was born out of seeing how my brother lived his life and how he applied love on a daily basis, and so I really just followed the footsteps of what my brother taught me uh, through his actions to to learn about what's going on in, in the community and, and, and to see what people are going through and to yeah. then open your heart to, to be part of that solution you know, to them and uh, to volunteer yourself and to empower others. Action steps, all four of those are action steps to, uh, to really make a difference, uh, to really uh, put love into action, not just talk about it. And not just do it when it's convenient
0: or when it's easy. Yeah, I think um, that's a sort of a running theme here today that we're all sort of discussing. It's got to be action. It can't just be typing on Facebook. It can't just be talking. It it, it actually has to be manifest into something uh, more than that in order to really affect change.
5: That's right, that's what you're doing that's what Tyson's doing that's what Ian's doing in, in all in different ways, but you know just like a, a, a body uh, we're, we're different parts of the body serving the same purpose you know? and uh, that's really why Errol joined me as well. He's been uh, an amazing partner to have on this project he's you know, he's an oscar winning uh, filmmaker uh, who when he learned about this problem. Jumped on and, and jumped in with both feet, and he really lived it out. Um, you know, just doing amazing work, uh, as, as are the other members of our team.
0: So, I'll ask this of uh, you both what are you hoping um, this movie will accomplish? What are your goals for? Uh, for the community and for people, when they see this movie, what are you hoping that this sort of uh, brings about?
5: Well, I'm gonna say just one thing quick, and I'm gonna turn it over to Errol. You know, we get asked a lot by film, other other filmmakers and other folks in the industry, what are, what's our goal? Uh, and they always bring up festivals and awards and things like that. My, my standard response, uh, you know, to that is that we really aren't interested in winning awards. We we want to win hearts. That's where it's at. We want to win hearts. And uh, I'll let Errol take
4: it from there. Okay. When I got on board with this film uh, last year, it really resonated with me, his story. And whenever I choose to take on another film project, I either love it or I love it a lot. And I love this project a lot. So I jumped on board because I know that this project could make a huge difference in many communities all across the country. One of the things that's very important to note about a film like this is that even though right now there are many amazing documentaries out there that highlight issues that are happening in our society, we are glad to say that this film, Walking While Black, Love is the Answer, is a solutions-based documentary that, that produces and showcases a solution to bring an end to racial profiling, to bring an end to excessive use of force, to bring communities together so that police officers and community members can open up those kinds of dialogue again and become friends again and, um, and have positive relations. The, I'm going to quote someone who's actually in the film who I really love this quote. Uh, he reminded us of a quote that uh, Martin Luther King said, which is, "People hate, people fear each other because they hate each other, and people hate each other because they don't know each other, and people don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other, and we really need to get back to starting those lines of communication because." If the community doesn't trust the cops and the cops can't trust the community, we're not going to get anywhere. So what's important for this film is not only to just watch the film, be edified, and walk out. We're actually encouraging police officers to come to every screening that we do so that after the film is shown, we can have a Q&A and we can begin having those conversations uh, between police officers and the community. Um... Additionally, we are rolling out um, a tour called the Love is the Answer tour that we'll be starting in May. And I'm going to actually have Adrian talk about this section.
5: Sure. So the Love is the Answer tour will uh, be 50 states, 100 cities, 120 events. And each of those events will be uh, a screening of the film, a Q&A session, workshops, uh, where people can roll up the sleeves and, and really dig de- so deep really and deep deep know each other, and that's police and activists, and teachers, and students, and parents and business owners and, and others, everyone who makes up the community, uh, the, the, the 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 traditional community leaders, if you will, all the way to the most disenfranchised of all, all in the same room, working through these issues together. We're Things uh, at work like this, where, for example, the Rand Corporation, we're working closely with them on on the workshop protocol. Uh, We've been working closely with the with activists and police department in Santa Monica, in Baltimore, and we've seen when people do come together in the same room and get below the surface, start to build real relationships, that true change can happen. And so we want to introduce. Uh, that concept in some markets, and we want to help further discussion uh, uh, in other markets and in some of those markets, people are so polarized and so the community is so fractured
2: that you know
5: they, they really just need to, to, for someone to come in and help them find a way, just like in a broken marriage, find a way to, to find that common ground so that they can have a conversation that leads to healing. So we plan on getting on the road for six months uh, to do that, going to every state, every major city, and uh, be there. We're truly committed to this. This is not a film where we finish, and then jump on to the next film. Both Errol and I have committed to studying this entire year, uh, digging deep and going physically to these cities to help people to learn how to love each other again.
0: So I am curious. So I'm assuming you're going to come across, if you haven't already, folks who say, uh, you know, you, you can't, can't bridge that. Gone too far. Um, you know, this has been a system that's been in place for a very long time. It's doing what it's meant to do. Um, what do you say to that?
5: You know, I say it's never too late, too late. Anyone who's uh, ever shed a tear Singing that, that uh, song Amazing Grace uh, You know, it, it's not too late Because uh, even the guy who, who wrote that uh, had, an, had an evil heart And and, and God, God turned uh, him around You know, if there's breath If there's a heartbeat There's a chance for healing to take place I've just seen it way too many times in my life so even the, the most raw situation, I'll give you one example from our film. We've got two guys in Benton Harbor, Michigan, a, a cop, a former cop, who when he was an officer, he framed uh, someone in the community. And that, that guy went to prison and uh, the cop finally got uh, caught at what he was, what he was doing, not only to him, but others. And uh, he wound up, going to prison as well, and the the other guy got got released. And so they both did time. Years later, they they ran across each other in the same town, and and Jamel, the guy who was framed, found it in his heart to forgive Andrew. And from there, uh, they have become best of friends, like brothers, and they are going around the country uh, helping people to to learn how to forgive each other and learn how to reconcile. And so we're talking about a guy who spent years in prison thinking about how he was going to get back at this guy. Mm. And and instead of doing what his flesh wanted him to do, he let he let the spirit of God lead the way. And so I believe that there's there's always hope for reconciliation we just need to give it a chance and, and, and it's difficult and, and a lot of us have been hurt. I've been hurt, but uh, you know, I, I know firsthand that uh, it's it's so much, it's so much better to try to go down that path of, of reconciliation than it is to just wall yourself off and shut yourself apart from people and, and, and not try for
2: that. I, I agree. And I think that it's,
0: it... Anyone who's evolved enough to have gone through a period where you know they've hated it's it's it can be all consuming and uh, it takes so much energy um, and determination to stay in that frame of mind um, and I, I think that You guys are on to something in that I I truly believe that the reason uh, things are able to get so ugly uh, is because there's a lack of connection with the other person. If you're not connected to somebody's humanity, somebody's soul, then it's much easier to beat them and to shoot them and to look at them like they're uh, predators. Um, But when you're forced into a room, when you're forced into a situation or when you step into a situation where you actually are uh, in a space where you have to communicate and you have to see that person as an individual, as a person, as a human, as a person with a soul, it makes uh, much harder to be that ugly uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I just I feel like we're just lacking that humanity, we're lacking that connection, and because of that, we're able to look at one another. In the ways that that are occurring, I mean, I I think that for those that are out there, and you know, we have to understand. And I, it, people are always coming at me with, you know, uh, not all cops are bad, and you know, blah blah blah. And, and I don't think that I've ever said anything to that. Um, I think there are certain police officers that have uh, behaved in a manner and continue to that uh, is very concerning that's not that everybody is but there's certainly a seems to be sort of a culture that's growing um, in our law enforcement communities where this sort of violence is acceptable and I think that you know when I look back at It seems that we don't have police officers involved in their communities knowing the people that they're there to protect and serve as much as we would think that they should be. And I think that, again, that's another place where it's like they're not connected as individuals, as human beings. And it makes uh, having fear and hate a lot easier when you don't connect with someone on a personal and a human level level. And so I think that what you guys are trying to do um, is uh, a huge task, but I'm, I'm glad that you're doing it. Um, I'm certainly eager to do what we can to help facilitate your film being in as many places as possible because I, I think that this is a conversation that needs to happen, you know, and, and I'm so glad that, that it's, that there's a venue and a place where people can... I mean, I think that people watching your movie and seeing the folks that you're speaking with really gives uh, good context to what's going on. And the fact that afterwards, it's not just ending with the film. It's, It's a catalyst to much more is what I'm so eager to support because... That's where the change is going to happen is getting folks in discussions and getting folks involved within their communities um, after words. so um, I'm very excited to, about your your project and um, and eager to to see where it can take us as a country.: um,
5: Thank you, and, well, and we're know, eager to. To roll up the sleeves and get to work with you as well. Uh, you know Tyson. Uh, one of the things he said uh, about avoiding interaction uh, with police. I understand that completely. I was I was there, and to a large extent, you know, depending on where I am, I'm, you know, I'm still there. You know, although I. There, there are relationships that I had around the country with police officers. Some of them are in this film and some of them aren't, but they're the folks that kept me uh, in the frame of mind of, of knowing that what we're doing can work. When Melvin Russell, chief in Baltimore, and Carol Dorsey here uh, in, in the LA area, and, and, and Tim McMillan in, in Georgia, and Bobby Kimbrough in the Carolinas, when when they are in your presence and you feel their heart and, and they're sharing how much they care for and love people and what the best of them, uh, then you know that they can't be
2: the only one.
5: So there have got to be others like them. And, there's, and then on the other end, there's some bad ones, but there's a whole lot of them in the middle who are sitting on the fence that can be swayed either way. And so we need to be that, that force of good using that most powerful force in the universe, love to weigh them over to to that side that will promote justice, that will promote peace, that will uphold uh, the law as as we all deserve, right? The fourteenth Amendment, equal protection under the law. We all deserve that. And so we need to we need to give it our all uh, to to make that happen. Yeah,
0: and no, you know, my hope is that Uh, with some work you're able to get this film to the places where there's the most uh, need for it where there is clearly um, a divide and I think uh, lack of trust rightly so it's been earned um, between the police and the communities of color And, and how how do you get the police in those places into the process. Have you had any experience so far with that? And um, and what are your thoughts on 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 moving forward with that? Because I mean, we all aren't going to argue that there are some great people out there who are in law enforcement who want to see a change in the system. Um, but how are you going to get those that are committed to like the good old boy South. I mean, there's, there are some real significant issues that I myself have dealt with um, in the cases that we see on a regular basis down there that we've been fighting for a long time. And uh, there's a mentality down there that is frightening. And I'm, and I'm thinking that those are the places that your movie is most needed. How do we get it there? And how do we get those folks involved? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that?
5: Errol, you want to share a little bit about that and maybe share a little bit about our friend Tim McMillan? He's in the South.
4: Okay. So we want to have this film reach as many people as possible because I personally believe that we can affect uh, all the teams that we want, starting at a grassroots level at a local level, initially with the interactions we have with the people who work with us in our neighborhood. And that first um, that first line of defense for anyone in the neighborhood is your community officers, your police officers, your your, your traffic wardens, all of those people. Um, now, we have um, a wide world of people that we're contacting right now to set up screenings all over the country. But of course, we don't know everyone. And we don't know every organization. And we don't know what your situation is or, com- or your specific community situation is But if you think that this film is a film that will resonate with a lot of people in the community, which can change lives in your community, can change lives for the people who are in your organization, your church, your police department, your school, your college, then definitely get in contact with us and let's start that conversation about setting up a screening of the film. Because at every screening, we're encouraging the organization who's setting up the screening, hosting the screening, to invite the local police department to go, to, the, to come to the event, and to start those discussions. AJ.
1: Well,
0: you know, I'm just going to. Just, I just want to say that um, I, I I believe that's where it starts is with dialogue, and um, and I'm that's why we're going to support getting your film to as many places as we can. And and certainly I want to put my efforts into getting you to the places where I've seen firsthand it's most needed. Um, And I, you know, I, I'm hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful. I think that I have a pretty painted view (laughs) given the work that I do on a regular basis and, um, given what my dad experiences on a pretty regular basis still, and given what my older son is now experiencing um, as a black man walking down the street, even here in Berkeley california, um you know i'm 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 frightened for them, and i'm um i'm I'm scared, but I'm scared enough to not move. And I think that uh, anything that begins a dialogue uh, between people and the police and engages everyone's concerns is, is, I think, a good thing. Um, It's interesting the timing of this because we've had some internal strife in the social justice community in the last few weeks because there are certain groups who do not want to work with other groups who have any feelings with the police at all whatsoever. And I, you know, I myself feel like we cannot just disengage from that dialogue and from that work or, you know, I I just don't, I don't see how we're going to affect any change on that level. I don't, I I certainly understand the anger. (laughs) I just don't, I don't necessarily think that approach is the way that we need to go, um, And then I, on the other hand, I I think of, you know, what Tyson was talking about. And I think a lot of it has to happen within our own communities of color. You know, we have to uh, Mm -hmm. each other and make sure everyone is taken care of and uh, set up a system in which we're all learning and moving forward. Um, And, you know, my dad always says, There's a place for everybody in a revolution. Um, You know, everybody has a different role to play. And I totally agree with that, 100%. And uh, there are those folks out on the front lines, those that are at the airports right now, and, you know, there are people who are making films and people who are writing and people who are in the communities organizing. And and there's a place for each of us. Um, I think the key is how we all come together together. you know, which is our main goal is to have, as you guys are promoting, um, mutual respect and love for one another as human beings past race. Um, so I, I want to, again, tell everybody uh, how they can access your uh, the information on your film. So it is uh, walking while black, the Um and they are uh, screenings over the next few months and then rolling it out for a year of going across country. So if you're interested in having a screening in your neck of the woods, uh, you can contact them or you can get in touch with Together We Stand and we will put you in touch with them. Um, I think that it's definitely worth... Uh, uh, Putting some energy into and, uh, and and really getting this one-on-one dialogue happening on a local level because uh, that's where it's got to begin. We're not going to shift this government unless we start locally. In in my humble opinion, um, so I'm going to bring everybody back on the line. Um, we're just going to. I just want to get everybody's sort of ideas on as we're. Uh, Looking at what's happening to our country right now and our um, new president and uh, what's going on, I think everybody that I know is pretty concerned. I thought it was going to be bad. I didn't, I don't think, have the ability to fathom how bad it's getting. Um, so, you know, we saw on the first day that he took office that. Uh, The civil rights uh, page on the White House website was replaced by a commitment to law enforcement. Um, And they stated that, uh, and I quote, one of the fundamental rights of every American is to live in a safe community. A Trump administration will empower our law enforcement officers to do their jobs and keep our streets free of crime and violence. The Trump administration will be a law and order administration President Trump will honor our men and women in uniform and will support their mission of protecting the public. The dangerous anti-police atmosphere in America is wrong, and the Trump administration will end it. So, um, that's a little concerning to me. Uh, I don't think we got this anti-police atmosphere um, just out of the blue. I mean, it's because we are seeing... uh, people dying, and uh, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, all of you, on, on where we're at and where we're going, and uh, Ian, do you want to jump in first and share?
1: Yeah, that's fine. I have my take on it, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but it seems like it's open season.
0: Open season, is that what you said?
1: Yes. Putting Black Lives Matter or
0: anybody who
1: stands up to police brutality, anybody put them on notice.
0: I agree.
1: I think it was reckless, but, you know, everybody's saying President Trump, but I'm going to tell you, you know, after seeing what's unfolded the past few days, the real power is the Bannon
2: character.
0: Yeah, it's 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 pretty disturbing, and it certainly is, in my opinion. I agree with you one hundred percent. He's putting us on notice, and and I think that that's. I myself feel like we're heading towards a major clash, and that it's going to be. I think we're heading towards a militarized police force in our urban communities. I think they're pushing for that, and. Um, since I don't see how. There. Yeah, I don't see how it's going to be any different. And I'm wondering, um, AJ and Arrow, what your thoughts are um, with what Trump is doing and what you guys are trying to do. How do you think uh, this is going to affect your work? And um, I mean, it seems that it's more important than ever. But at the same time, I feel like he's. He's drawing a line in the sand between law enforcement and communities of color. It's already been there, you know, I think to some extent, but now completely and totally backed by the government. And I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on what he's doing and, and how this is going to affect your goals um, in bringing people together.
5: Well, you know, at the, at the core of uh, our government is we the people. And the government is, is not about one man, no matter how evil he might be or how much we digri- disagree with uh, the way he does things. It's really going to come down to we the people and the, the actions that uh, that we take. So we have to be strong. We have to be diligent. We have to be in it for the long haul. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think it was Ian uh, who who said that there's these keyboard activists out there who get tired after a couple hours or a day or two. We can't afford to be tired. We can't afford to fall asleep. You know, the bus boycotts lasted long, much longer than days or weeks or months. We we have to be diligent and we have to be in it for the long haul. And for me, that means to continue to, to employ love uh, to continue to uh, try to build bridges and tear down walls, and not give up uh, on on this country. I I served my country in the U, in the U.S. Air Force uh, proudly. Um, my grandfather on my father's side uh, was uh, an illegal immigrant when he came here. Uh, he worked very very hard as a coal miner in Pittsburgh. Uh, when he got here and, and and you know made it possible for me to enjoy living in one of the greatest countries in the world. I don't say the greatest because there's other places that have higher higher quality of life because the people care for each other more. And I think that's where it's at. We can't we, we can't stop caring about each other. We have to continue to do that and, and, and do that and be willing to fight for it. And we can't build walls because we'd be hypocrites, right? Because what's Trump trying to do? He's trying to literally build walls. And so we can't do that or else we're just like him. We've got to be bridge builders and we've got to tear down walls and we've got to look for ways to to come together.
3: And
0: as is our, our, the tagline for my organization is breaking down walls and building community. And you know, as I'm, thinking and listening to you. you no, know, I'm my my oldest is uh just finished uh putting in all of his college applications and uh in his essay he wrote about the state of race in this country and and he used one of the quotes from Martin Luther King, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And 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 that is so true. And uh you, know, I think we have a president who is uh, has a platform of hate, and um, I think love and knowledge and action are what's going to be necessary to combat that. Um, Tyson, you've been holding on. You want to give us your thoughts on, on everything?
3: Yeah, that's fine. I appreciate it. Uh, when it comes to Trump, he's no different than what we've been seeing for the past 200 and what is it now, like 38 years or something, but 1789 is the beginning of constitutional America. George Washington to John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and so on and so forth. We can move forward with the president. This government, the chief executive of this country has never been a friend to black people, indigenous people, people of color. It's the same thing. This dude has a unique flair with how he articulates what he's doing, but he's not a major departure from Obama, from George W. Bush, from president Clinton. I mean, Clinton is where we get our three strikes the omnibus crime bill. So, I mean, we don't need to play semantics, Republicans, Democrats. I mean, the political spectrum and the characters who have taken up that that space, they have never been a friend to what we're trying to do in terms of living lives where we have a high quality of life and life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And that's never been the mandate. And when it comes to law enforcement as well, I mean, law enforcement, comes out of the slave patrols and the night watch and the slave catchers. Like law enforcement has never been on the side of black people, indigenous people, so on and so forth. And so it's not just culture. These are historical generational institutions that have functioned a specific way. And yes, like we've been saying, you might have individual politicians who we don't consider bad or you might have individual law enforcement agents that we don't consider bad. But those politicians and those law enforcement agents belong to bigger institutions that function with systematic discrimination, racism, sexism, xenophobia, um, homosexual tendencies, all of this stuff as core foundational elements. And they operate that way and they oppress people in that way. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's important to embed our conversation within that context. Trump is not different. He's not an He's not an anomaly. He's a continuum or he represents the evolution of the American system. And so with all of that, these problems have been here. They're not going to go away unless we figure out a way to get them together. And it's not about, like, building walls to keep certain people out. But you got these people at the top that want to keep their power, And they use all these different systems that they deploy to keep people separated. We have to come together to change that dramatically. And I don't want to scare people with language, but, you know, like, whether it's a revolution or something else, we need to change that. We need to change those systems, and reform hasn't benefited us. Like Dr. King said, we integrated into a burning house. You know, like, we can really try to reform the system, but if... That economic system is still present If the Political system is still present Which has been predatory on us and Our entire existence in this country We're going to have issues still
2: You
3: know, it's going to look like The system of South Africa Where they became independent politically But you still have a few people That control the economic system So they can still influence the political system And you have a very difficult situation When we can look at Cuba Cuba became independent we're still dealing with, they're still dealing with economic imperialism, which prevents them from being able to move forward. And I'm not just trying to select bad examples, but, like, independence, freedom, and liberation is a real thing. And the enemy or the 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 beast that we're fighting against is very real as well. And that understanding it is important in order to be able to fight back against it. Right? Like the hearts and minds think it's important to also fight against the real enemy that we're dealing with and having an understanding of that is key.
0: Well, I'd like to disagree with you, but I can't. <laughs> um, I can't. And I think that you're correct in that this is, you know, I don't think he's certainly not uh, introducing anything new. I think he's just a bullhorn um, for what's existed, um, and it's an uh, unashamed bullhorn, uh, and he's just he's just given light and and voice to, or a uh, louder voice to what's been uh, occurring for, as you said, uh, quite some time. Um, well, I want to uh, thank you each for coming on and giving your perspective and, uh, and sharing with us. I think it's pretty amazing that we have men like you out there. Um, I'm excited to get to know each of you. Um, again, I'm going to share... Uh, the print that I got from Ian, this is from Standing Rock. Um and you can go to the Ian Frank Gallery dot com or third eye journey dot org to see more of his work. And um uh, we've got Tyson Amir. I'm showing your book. <laughs> uh Black Boy Poems. Uh you can get this on Amazon or is it Tyson Amir com or blackboypoems.com.
3: Both websites are fine. You can get it either way.
0: Awesome. Anyways, everybody should pick up a copy of this. Um, it's absolutely amazing. I'm not done yet, but I have been stuck uh, with this book and not putting it down since it came in the mail yesterday. <laughs> and uh, I really, really appreciate your voice, brother, and I hope that we can work together in our Bay Area community, bring in our youth um,
3: empowerment
0: and self-love. And I want to thank AJ and Errol for coming on and sharing with us about Walking Wild Black, Love is the Answer. Um, you can learn more about their movie and uh, how to bring it to your neighborhood at com. Uh, you can also get in touch with us at Together We Stand, and we're happy to help you get in touch with them and also to help facilitate the viewing in your area should you need help with the organizing. Um, I think you guys are all doing amazing things in your own right. It's a beautiful example for my boys um, to see and um, for all of our young people out there, and I'm just really grateful Uh, for each of you in spending your time with me tonight and I hope that uh, the messages that have been shared here today reach many many uh, over the next several weeks and uh, with that I'm going to say good night and I wish you all blessings moving forward in your work and your lives
5: Thank you so much Thank Thank you. you so much, same to you Thank you. Have right.
0: Thank you very much. You too. Peace. Okay, so everybody, you're all joining, but you have to now go and watch the rest of the video. Um, again, this is Sethi, uh With together we stand, together we stand at nationbuilder.com, but we're going to have a new website coming out shortly. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook at Revolution. If you want the information on how to, uh, again, get in touch with any of our guests tonight, feel free to PM me. I will make sure that we have everything up on our website uh, by tomorrow, and also on our Facebook page. Uh, again, I really highly suggest that you check out Ian Frank's work. I am not one to promote things unless I really feel strongly about them, and his ability to tell a story and a powerful one uh, with photography is truly, truly amazing. And um, Tyson Amir's book is literally flooring me. Like, this brother has really got a grasp on what is going on, and this story is pretty powerful and one that I think that we should share. Um, And again, A.J. Ali and Errol Weber, their movie uh, Walking While Black, Love is the Answer, is going to be rolling out across the country uh, over the next year, and... uh, It's an excellent way for us to bring the community together. Uh, Police officers, social justice organizations, citizens uh, have a dialogue about how we heal, uh, how we change a system that is oppressive and, uh, quite frankly, killing uh, people of color. And uh, we are happy that together we stand to help facilitate uh, organized for you should you want to bring this to your area so thank you for tuning in I ask that you all hit the share button so that we can get uh, the message of all of these incredible uh, artists out to as many folks as possible we have our last podcast went out on Facebook to almost 2,000 people so let's see if we can beat that record. Um, certainly, the messages shared today are, are worth sharing, and um, I appreciate all the support from all of you guys. Okay?